Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you all had a great Christmas. And I know this is a Sunday after Christmas, but I have one more installment in our series entitled The Incarnation. Today, I want to talk with you about a story that happened 12 years after Christmas uh, when Jesus was a boy. He was 12 years old. There's an important story in his life, and it reminds us of another dimension of the incarnation of, of God in the flesh when Jesus was a boy. And it's an incident that happened when Joseph and Mary brought him down from Nazareth, down to Jerusalem for the Passover. And uh, I want to talk with you about an important lesson that we can learn uh, from the life of Jesus today. I'm really glad you're here on this Sunday, the last Sunday of 2014. And I hope today this message will inspire us to think about resolutions we want to make for 2015, to make 2015 the best year we've ever had in our relationship with the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. And um, Lord, I just thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the time with family and friends and generosity. And Lord, I pray that'll go on year-round. Lord, I don't want to just focus on you during the holidays. I want to focus on you every day. So today, Lord, I pray that you'll speak, you'll move me out of the way, and you'll teach us important things, some important things we need to know about keeping our eyes on you. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline of where I'm going today. We're talking about a story that's found at the end of Luke chapter 2. The beginning of the chapter starts with Joseph and Mary making their way to Bethlehem and Jesus being laid in a manger because there was no room in the inn. And then at the end of the chapter, we find a story that happens when Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to Jerusalem when he's 12 years old. This is point one. When Jesus was 12 years old, Joseph and Mary lost sight of him. If you need a pen, by the way, to fill in the blanks, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring a pen to you so you can take some notes. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem. This is Luke 2, starting with verse 41. They went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Nazareth was in the north of Israel, or Nazareth is in the north of Israel. It's located there. And uh, Jerusalem is kind of south central. So this would have been a couple days' journey on foot. So they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among the relatives and friends. And so you would have had a whole group of people, cousins, aunts, uncles, neighbors, people making a pilgrimage down to Jerusalem uh, for the Passover. And Jesus would have been traveling. He was a 12-year-old boy playing with other boys and other things. And Joseph would have assumed he was with Mary. Mary probably assumed he was Joseph. They could have been, had a group of women talking, a group of men talking, and somehow they lose sight of Jesus in the process. And that night when they stopped to camp on the way back home to Nazareth, they realized Jesus isn't there. I mean, how'd, how'd that prayer time go that evening? Uh, Lord, you know, we thank you for Jesus whom the angel told us about. Yeah, we lost him. I mean, how'd that go? <laughs> that would be awkward. <laughs> okay, angels announced the whole thing and dreams, visions, special child, the Messiah. Yeah, we don't know where he is. Okay, that's <laughs> just got to be awkward. But anyway, uh, it, I want to point out something here, even as we're talking about this, that it's entirely possible for a 12-year-old, if you're traveling with a bunch of people, that you could misplace them. I mean, that Jesus was a boy, and they just lost sight of him. Now, there's a note here. Joseph and Mary loved God and believed that Jesus was the Messiah. We spent the last couple of weeks talking about how an angel appeared, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her before Jesus was born, I mean, that she was going to conceive a child, that the Holy Spirit would place Jesus in her womb. And that's what happened. Joseph was convinced by an angel in a dream. The shepherds saw an angel. In fact, 
Um, all who heard the shepherd's story after they came and found the baby lying in the manger, they were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Joseph and Mary were believers. They believed in God. They loved Jesus. And then in Luke 2, a little earlier in the chapter, we find on the eighth day after Jesus was born, they had Jesus circumcised and they named him Jesus, which is exactly what you're supposed to do on the eighth day, according to Leviticus 12. And the name, that was the name given to him by the angel even before he was conceived. And then when it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child, they took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And this is all in Leviticus 15, 29, when you offer a purification offering for Mary uh, after childbirth. They, offered, they were poor, and so they offered two turtle doves. And that's where that comes from. No mention of a partridge in a pear tree. But there were two turtle doves offered. And that's where that comes from, from Leviticus 15, 29. And so Joseph and Mary were following the teachings of the Bible. They believed in God. They loved Jesus. So is it possible for people who obey the teachings of the Bible, who love God and who love Jesus, to lose sight of him? Yes. Now, I say all that because sometimes I'll talk to people, they get into all kinds of problems, they have relational difficulties, they've stopped reading their Bible, they've stopped going to church, they've stopped praying, now all of a sudden old sinful habits are coming back or an addiction has resurfaced or they're just in a, they have a horrible bitterness towards someone, they just can't get past. And I talk to them about, hey, you know, I think you've lost sight of Jesus here, you need to come back to God. And they go, so you're saying I'm not a Christian? I go, no, you're just a Christian who's acting stupidly. Can we all agree that Christians can act stupidly? Now, some of you need to raise your hands higher than that, okay? <laughs> hey, if we're Christians, these Joseph and Mary, can we all agree that Joseph and Mary love Jesus? They just lost sight of Jesus. You can love Jesus and lose sight of him. And some of us, in 2014, lost sight of him. In fact, if we were to have a scale from 1 to 10, where 10 is right there hanging with Jesus every day and we're close to God as we've ever been and one is we're far away from him and really don't know what he's up to and we're not talking to God right now and we're not close at all. Some of us say, yeah, when I was in college, boy, I was right there. Or yeah, when we first got married, I was right there. Or back when I was in a youth group or whenever it would be or when I went on a women's retreat or a men's retreat, man, I was right there with God, but now I'm way over here. Well, what are we going to do about it? I mean, if we've lost sight of Jesus, here's one of the great advantages. On the last Sunday of the year, we have a chance to turn the page here on the calendar and take stock of where we are. And we need to be honest with ourselves. If we've lost sight of Jesus, let's do something about it. Now, here are a couple of things that can cause any of us to lose sight of Jesus. <clears throat> First of all, the concerns of our culture. We can easily lose sight of Jesus, too. Concerns of our culture. Jesus was telling a story once, an illustration a parable of the soils, of four soils, where uh, he talked about the fact that when the Word of God comes to us, that God is using a friend or a pastor or a devotional or a website maybe to sow the seed of the good news on people's hearts. And some people's hearts are hard. In the day of Jesus, when a farmer would prepare his fields, he'd go and work the fields with an ox or by hand and till up the soil, and then he'd go with a sack of seed around his shoulder, and he'd scatter the seed by hand. And some of the seed would fall on a hard path where people walked when they cut through the field and it wouldn't sink in and the birds of the air would come snatch it away. So that's just what the devil does. People have hard hearts. The word doesn't get in and the devil comes and snatches away before it can take root. He said some people, their hearts 
It's kind of like rocky soil, where there's a little bit of soil, but there's a lot of rocks, and it'll spring up okay, but as soon as it gets hot, as soon as there's any kind of you know, tribulation or trouble, any kind of problems at all, the people wither and shrink and walk away. He said there are other people, though. They're like the soil where it's, there's a lot of weeds and thorns. And the seed will take root and it'll grow, but it gets choked out because the weeds grow faster. This is what he's talking about here. He said the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. You know, if you and I are chasing the almighty dollar, just keeping up with the Joneses or part of the rat race, think of all the metaphors we have for this. Just trying to pursue bigger, better, more, faster. All of a sudden, all our resources and time, they're all consumed. We don't have time for God anymore. Made a lot of money. No time to read the Bible. Got a lot of nice stuff. Hadn't prayed for anything. And this isn't what God wants for us. And it's easy to get distracted. To have the affairs of this world choke out the time and the resources necessary to pursue a relationship with God. And we come to God because we say, God, I need you. And that's why Jesus came to us to rescue us, and to establish a right relationship with us. And if we're not careful, we can lose sight of him. I mean, Joseph and Mary could, so I think we could too. Here's another thing that can cause us to lose sight of Jesus, just busyness. Just being busy all the time. In Luke 10, Jesus was traveling with his disciples, and they stopped at a home of two women, Mary and Martha, as Jesus and the disciples continued on the way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted. Please circle the word distracted. By the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. That just sounds like my big brother. That's amazing how siblings do that. Okay, but the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary's discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. She was distracted by busyness. It wasn't a bad thing. Hospitality is a good thing. She was making dinner for Jesus and the disciples. Good thing. But somewhere along the line, she missed the forest for the trees. And the details about preparing dinner for Jesus became more important than listening to Jesus. And this could happen in my life and in yours. A mom could be so concerned about raising her kids, she's done everything for her kids, all the homework's done, the clothes are pressed, the food is cooked, the house is clean, but no time for Jesus. I, a dad, I'm providing for my family, I'm doing my part, I'm getting the bills paid, I'm making sure the cars are running, I'm making sure everything's done doing my job, going to work on time, climbing the corporate ladder. No time for Jesus. None of those things are bad. But my friends, we can lose sight of Jesus. Remember where we started here. Can you love God like Joseph and Mary? Yeah, they love God. They proved it. Went to the temple, eighth day, purification rites, whole nine yards. They lost sight of Jesus coming back from a Passover celebration. This was a good thing. 
You and I can lose sight of God in the midst of all kinds of religious holidays and everything else. We can be so busy about Christmas, we, miss sight, we lose sight of Jesus even at Christmas. Could that happen? All the time. Man, all you got to do is stand in the parking lot the day before Christmas at a shopping center and you'll see people with not much joy. So is it possible? Sure. Here's a third way that you and I can lose sight of Jesus. Disappointment with God. God didn't come through the way we thought he should in 2014, so I'm giving up on him. I mean, when Jesus was teaching about what it meant to follow him, in John 6, starting with verse 66, it says this, at this point many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. I mean, they, in that particular context, they wanted Jesus to give them free fish and free bread. He had multiplied a little boy's lunch to feed thousands, and they wanted him to keep doing that. And Jesus said, no, that's not what I'm about. And you're going to have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And they said, oh, this is getting weird. I'm out of here. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. A lot of people this last year got disappointed with God. They didn't get the promotion they didn't get the relationship they wanted. They didn't get the whatever it was they were praying for. Hey, I didn't get what I wanted. It doesn't work. I'm out of here. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not reading the Bible anymore. I'm not praying anymore. You'd think after 10 years of going to Sunday school, I just asked for one thing and God didn't give it to me. You'd be stunned at how many times I hear this. Because people want a genie. Hey, how do I rub the lamp? I mean, the Bible is a lamp, and I rub it with the magic words saying, in Jesus' name, amen. Poof. That's how you get what you want. Just put in Jesus' name at the end of whatever's on your wish list, and you'll get it. These are magic words. I don't know. And they don't even check into the fact that when we talk about Jesus' name, that we're talking about his identity, and we're praying the way Jesus said, when he said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And so people get disappointed with God, and then they lose sight of him. Yeah, I don't go to church now anymore. Haven't been in church in seven years. Gave up on that. Doesn't work. Tried praying once. Prayed for five whole minutes. Doesn't work. My friends, God wants a personal relationship with us. Not five whole minutes. He wants us to trust him that he might have plans in fact, that he does have plans that are a thousand times bigger than ours. And he says, will you trust me and obey me? So is it possible that Joseph and Mary lost sight of a 12-year-old? Sure. Is it possible for you and me to lose sight of Jesus? Oh, yeah. Just the pursuits of our culture, the busyness of life, disappointment with God. I haven't even gotten into just blatant sin where we're doing things we, shouldn't, we know we shouldn't do. And that one, I hope, is obvious. So we can lose sight of Jesus. And so here we are at the end of 2014, the beginning of 2015, and this is a life application for us. You and I need to evaluate ourselves to see once whether we've lost sight of Jesus. That's what I'm encouraging us to do a few days before the new year starts to take stock of where we are. Where would I get this idea? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, test yourselves to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourselves regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not merely hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. 
if you fail the test, do something about it. And please underline, if you fail the test, do something about it. If you fail the test, do something about it. Would you say that with me, please? If you fail the test, do something about it. One more time. If you fail the test, do something about it. Now look, this is where our faith has to take action here. Joseph and Mary lost sight of Jesus, so they did something about it. They went back to look for him. If you and I have lost sight of Jesus, we need to do something about it. Can we all agree about that? Ah, I lost sight of Jesus. Well, let's just keep going. What? I mean, Joseph and Mary didn't just head back to Nazareth and go, well, he's the son of God after all. I guess he'll find his own way home. I mean, that's not what they said. That's not what happened. And some of us, we go, yeah, I lost sight of Jesus five years ago. What have you been doing about it? Hmm, nothing. Well, let's do something about it. That brings us to point two. When Joseph and Mary realized they had lost sight of Jesus, they diligently searched for him until they found him. Now, when they couldn't find him, they went back. Please circle the three words, they went back. They went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Why? That's the last place they'd seen him. Can I recommend to us that when we are looking for Jesus, that if, we, if there was a time in our lives, again, really close to Jesus because we were reading the Bible and we were praying and we were doing all these things, we had to go back there. I mean, I do this with couples in their marriage all the time. Yeah, our marriage really stinks right now. It's horrible. There's no rant, romance. There's no attraction anymore and all these things. Well, what did you used to do? Oh, we used to go out to dinner and do all that stuff with you anymore. No, we don't do any of that anymore. Well, maybe you ought to go back. I mean, that's what worked the first time, right? When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting around the religious teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard Jesus were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother told him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. I mean, three days. Remember, they were a day away from Jerusalem when they realized he was gone. It took them a day, obviously, to get back. And then they searched for Jerusalem and Jerusalem for another whole day. So they're just going frantic by then. I mean, they've lost the Son of God, okay? He's somewhere in Jerusalem. There's a life application for you here. When we realize we've lost sight of Jesus, we need to diligently seek him. Hey, this is our opportunity. We've got a new year in front of us. Let's go back. If you lost sight of Jesus in 2014 because you got caught up in busyness, you got caught up in materialistic pursuits, you got disappointed with God, maybe you got tangled up in a sin, come back. Let's go find him. Let's not keep going the wrong way. Let's go back. Let's seek him. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. God will reward us if we seek him. We have God's word on it. Jeremiah 29, 13. God himself says, you will seek me and find me when you seek, with, seek me with all your heart. Salvation is far from the wicked. They don't seek out your decrees. Psalm 119. I mean, wicked people don't seek God's decrees. They don't want God's decrees. They like going their own way. But for those of us who are believers, it's like, where would we go? Peter said, well, where would we go? You have the words of truth. The wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think that God is dead. Hey, if pride is an issue, let's bury it here in 2014. Let's go, I need Jesus. 
I don't like the way my relationships are going. I don't like the decisions I've been making lately. I've got a guilty conscience. My heart is heavy. I've been doing wicked things, stubborn things, prideful things, sinful things. Well, let's repent. Let's go back and let's find the right way. What better time than the beginning of a year? And when Mary and Joseph lost Jesus, they went back. They turned around. Please turn around. If you got your outline open, right across the page now where you are, there's a little diagnostic tool. We reprinted that. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 verse there. Um, seven questions. If you've been through our Discover Centerpoint class, you realize these are just commitments we ask people to make when they join the church. Because we want all of us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Our motto here is centering lives on Christ. Well, to center our lives on Christ, I hope would imply keeping our eyes on Jesus so we don't lose him. So there's seven things that we talk about that will help us keep our eyes on Jesus, keep our lives centered on him. Here are seven questions to ask yourself. They go along with the commitments we ask people when they become members of our church. One, do I have a meaningful daily devotional time of Bible reading and prayer? Am I willing to do that? God's word is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. God promises to guide us along the best pathway for our life. That's really hard to do if we won't listen. And you and I need to make this a priority. Are you willing to make it a priority? Have you been listening to God this last year? Are you willing to this next year? On the back side of your outline, there's all kinds of resources on that, on how to do that. There's a few of them listed there. The best one is at Bible.com. You can get devotionals and scripture readings sent to your phone or to your tablet or your computer. We'll help you do it. I help people get set up on that all the time in my office because there's nothing more important than reading the Bible on your own. Today, we're looking at some scriptural passages, and I want to help you understand them the way I've understood them. But imagine if we all read the Bible on our own, then God would be speaking to all of us all the time. So do I have a meaningful daily devotional time of Bible reading and prayer? Two, do I come prepared for worship each Sunday? It's really important that we come prepared for worship each Sunday. Uh, some of you know that before, I, uh, before Centerpoint started, I worked for a number of years at Fraser Methodist in Montgomery. And I remember one spring we had a late snowstorm. It was in April, and there was a snow on Friday and Saturday morning, and all the church services basically ever were called off. And a bunch of us on the staff, the roads were clear by Sunday morning, and we decided we were just going to be there in case anybody showed up. And I was there with our senior pastor, John Ed Matheson, on a Sunday morning for an 8 o'clock service. There was hardly anybody there. There was a lady in her 70s came walking all the way down to the front row and sat down on the front pew in the sanctuary. I'll never forget this. Uh, John Ed walked over to her and said, Ma'am, I thank you I'm, that you're here. I'm so glad you decided to come today. And she pulled her hand away and she said, I didn't decide to come today. If I'd have waited until today, I'd have never come. I decided last year I was going to come to church. When you asked us to make commitments. Do you know if I wait until it's raining to decide whether I'm going to church? It's probably too wet. And then if it's 75 and sunny, it's probably too nice. And if I wait till Sunday morning and I stayed up late on Saturday night, I stayed up too late. I'm going to roll over and hit the snooze button. And there's too many things going on with my kids. And I got too much happening at work this week. And I've got this reason, this reason, this reason, and this reason, and I can't go. But if you and I are going to pursue Jesus this next year, then one of the ways we can do it is to come prepared for worship each week, each Sunday, to say, I'm going to be a part of this. Because I want to seek Jesus. I will promise you this. If you come here, we will do our best to lift up the name of Christ. We will open up God's word for you. We will sing praises to God. We will help introduce you to other people who are seeking him. Please come. 
Please make it a commitment. Make it a priority in 2015. If you've drifted away from God, come back. Thirdly, am I growing spiritually as part of a connect group? That's a small group for those of you who are visiting. And again, if you're visiting with us today and you can't be a part of this church, be a part of a fellowship where you live. But we need to be in a small group with other people who are traveling the same road. Am I serving in the church and the world according to how God has shaped me? That's an acronym we go over here. Our spiritual gifts, our heart, or our passions, our abilities, our personality, and our experiences. Are we serving how God has shaped us? Because when we serve, then it helps keep our eyes on Jesus. And we remember, hey, it's not all about me. Am I giving financially the work of the church? So I'm putting God first with my time and my money. Am I praying regularly for the church and its leaders? Am I sharing the good news of Jesus Christ as God gives me the opportunity? Am I doing these things? This is a diagnostic tool. And I simply present these because this is what we want for our members. I share at every Discover Centerpoint class, the story is told of a pastor who took a, a country church and he'd been there about six months and over the first six months, he noticed that a guy came in virtually every Sunday and he'd sit about three or four rows back. He was probably in his 50s or so. And the guy would sit down and cross his arms and promptly fall asleep. And sometimes in the middle of the message, he'd start snoring. Uh, there was once when a... Uh, a uh, family came in that was visiting the community and they sat down where this guy normally sits and he came in late and in the middle of service. He told them to get out of the pew. That was the place where he sat and the family left and they never came back. He would write notes to the pastor on his bulletin virtually every Sunday. Too long, message was boring, too hot, too cold, music was terrible, all his negative remarks. And so he collected all these things and he had a meeting with his elders. He said, who is that guy who sits on the left-hand side about four rows back and sleeps and writes negative stuff? And they all started snickering. Oh, well, that's just old Bob. His mom and dad helped found this church years and years ago. And you know, he's been around here since he was a kid. Don't pay attention to him. And the pastor said, well, you know, I think we need to make a motion here that we need to disband as a church. We need to dissolve. And they all said, what are you talking about? And they said, look, if this is what we produce after 50 years, let's dissolve now. Now look, I hope that Centerpoint is still in existence. We've been in existence for five years. I hope we're in existence 50 years from now. But I hope that 50 years from now, if I ask these questions, do I have a meaningful devotional time of Bible reading and prayer? I hope that five years from now you can go, I've never enjoyed reading the Bible more. I can't wait to spend time with Jesus every day. If I ask you a question, do you come prepared for worship each Sunday? I love coming to worship. I pray about it during the week. I show up ready to go. I bring friends. Am I growing spiritually as part of a small group, as part of a connect group? I come to a connect group. Now I'm the leader of a connect group. I love my connect group. We pray for each other. We support each other. Best friends I've ever made. Am I serving in the church and the world according to how God has shaped me? I'm using my spiritual gifts and my passions. I've never felt more alive. Am I giving financially work of the church? You know what? My whole priority system has been changed. I love to help poor people now. I love to give to the work of the church. I love to give to missions. Am I praying regularly for the church and its leaders? I can't, I can't tell you how exciting it is to see God answer prayers. And am I sharing the good news of Jesus Christ as God gives me the opportunity? Man, I shared my faith with somebody at work. My connect group's praying for me. It's really exciting. I feel like I'm just, I feel like the Bible comes alive because I feel like I'm living in the days of the Bible. That's what I want for each one of us. That's what we mean when we say a centered life is a, li a life centered on Christ. That's what I want for us to have in 2015. And so that's why we ask these questions. I don't want old Bobs. And if your name's Bob, I'm sorry, okay? 
or old Judy's or old whoever's. Come to church, plunk down, snore, get through this junk, go home. That's not what church is supposed to be about. Church is about us helping each other keep our eyes on Jesus. Is it possible for good people, godly people to lose sight of Jesus? It was possible for Joseph and Mary. Yes, it's possible. And if we're not careful, we can drift way off course and get ourselves into all kinds of sin and pain. That's why small groups matter. That's why Bible reading matters. That's why worship matters. And that brings us to point three. Jesus was puzzled why Joseph and Mary didn't immediately look for him at his father's house. I mean, they've been looking all over Jerusalem for him. They finally find him at the temple, and here's what Jesus says. Well, why would you need to search? I mean, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? They didn't understand what he meant. He went back with them to Nazareth and was obedient to them, but it was really puzzling to him. But why didn't you search for me in the temple first? Where'd you think you'd find me? I mean, this is the child that the angel foretold, the Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Did you think I'd be at 7-Eleven? I mean, where were you looking? And that brings a life application for you and me. A good place to reconnect with Jesus is in the household of faith. I mean, all the things we talked about here are things we want to help you with. This is why we organize as a church, so we can help each other. Grow in our relationship with God, to keep our lives centered on Christ, to keep our eyes focused on Him. If these seven questions seem burdensome to you, don't let them seem burdensome. These are things we can help each other with. And we should want to. So we grow. You will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. Paul was right in Timothy here. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. The pillar and foundation of the truth is the church. We're the household of God. We're the place where we can come and help each other grow. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now the day of his return is drawing near. People already in the first century were getting, ah, I don't know if I need to go. And the writer of Hebrews saying, well, of course we need to go. And Jesus was puzzled at Joseph and Mary. Why wouldn't you look at the temple first? Now look, if 2014, if we've taken our eyes off Jesus and we've gotten into all kinds of sin and all kinds of pain and all kinds of bad habits have started cropping back in our lives again, come back to Jesus. Come back to the household of faith. We can help each other here. Galatians 6.1. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. That's what we're designed to do, to help each other back on the right path. Let's get back on the right track. But if you're looking for Jesus, come to church. And again, if you're visiting with us from another city, we'll find a fellowship there. This is what God wants for us. I mean, I do this with college students all the time. They go, yeah, I just can't find a godly girl. Well, where have you been looking? Two for night at Dark Horse Tavern. Yeah, she's not there, okay? She's not there. Who knew? Who knew you would find godly people in God's house? Who knew you would find Jesus at church? 
Who knew you'd find hope and peace and joy and love when you got back in touch with the Prince of Peace and the God of love and hung out in his household with his kids? Who knew? Why would we be looking for Jesus at happy hour at a bar? Why? You won't find him there. If you're looking for a deep, abiding relationship with him. And so Jesus was puzzled. And you and I don't need to be to make the same mistake. Let's go straight to the source. Point four. I want to remind us of some good news. Even if we lose sight of Jesus, God never loses sight of us. And this is one thing that is said throughout the whole Bible, Old Testament and New. God knows how weak we are. He knows our frame, that we are made of dust. The Israelites were convinced in Babylon when God had taken them captive. For centuries, they turned their back on him, and so God took them captive to Babylon for 70 years. While they were there, the people were crying out in despair that God had given up on them and he'd forgotten them. God sent the prophet Isaiah to them, and this is what he said. Or the people of Israel were saying, the Lord has deserted us, the Lord has forgotten us. Never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she, feel, can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I wouldn't forget you. When Jesus was describing God's great love for us, even when we're rebellious and we go our stubborn, selfish way, here's what he said. This is one of the illustrations he used. He said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he'll call together all his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, because I've found my lost sheep. In that same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Please hear what I'm saying here this morning. God loves us, and he wants us to come home. We have a perfect opportunity. Our culture celebrates every year, January 31st at midnight, the changing of the year. And as a culture, we embrace the idea that we have a clean slate. We can make New Year's resolutions. And I hope we do. My prayer for all of us is that 2015 will be the best year we've ever had with Jesus. That if we're going from 1 to 10, we go... Man, I moved all the way over here in 2015. We will help you with all these things. We can help each other. That's what God wants. He wants us to find him. And he's amazed when we don't even bother to look for him or we look in the wrong place. If we lost sight of Jesus in 2015, 2014, let's find him in 2015. Let's seek him and let's do it together. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just I thank you for the story of Joseph and Mary. It's a reminder that good people, godly people who are doing the right thing could still get distracted and lose sight of Jesus. And Father, if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. And many of us have this last year. We drifted away from you. And Lord, we can go weeks or sometimes a month until a crisis appears and all of a sudden, oh Lord, oh Lord. Lord, you want more than just to be a, a ripcord on a parachute that we pull when we're in grave danger. Lord, you are our friend and our counselor, our savior. 
our Lord. In a moment of silence, if you have drifted away, if you lost sight of Jesus in 2014, would you confess it now and say, God, you know. You know, Lord, I lost sight of you. Please forgive me. I want you at the center of my life, Lord, not on the periphery. I want you right in the middle. Help me center my life on you. Oh, Father, I pray that you would light a fire inside of us. I pray, Lord, that you would invigorate our scripture reading times, our worship times, our prayer times. You would open our eyes to all sorts of ways and opportunities for us to serve others and to tell people about you. Did you give, allow us to give joyfully to those in need and to the work of the church? Oh God, stir us up. Lord, I know you're coming soon. And Lord, when you come, I want you to find us busy about the work you have for us. And maybe you'll come in 2015. And Lord, I pray that you will be able to tell us, well done. Good job. Father, I thank you that you love us and you never give up on us even when we give up on you. You know how weak we are. I pray, Lord, we won't use any sorry excuse that you won't understand and you won't love us and you don't love us anymore. Father, I pray that those tired, lame lies of the devil won't have any hold on us anymore. We'll come running back to you. God, that's my prayer for 2015, for myself, for all of us. I want us to fall more in love with you than we ever have before. Bless our worship services. Bless our small groups. Bless our Bible reading. Every time we serve you, Lord, confirm in our hearts that we're doing the right thing. I love you, Lord. I thank you even now that you are here with us. I thank you, Lord, that you love us a million times more than we could ever love you back and that you never give up on us. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, the one whom Mary found in the temple, busy about his father's business. I want to be like him, Lord. Help us center our lives on Christ. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.